Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's a type 1 diabetic, entrepreneur, founder of T1 Training, fitness coach. It's Matt Hornsby. How are you doing today, Matt? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I am from Brighton in the UK, so down on the South Coast. Um, growing up, super into fitness, really into sports, things like rugby. That's pretty big over in England. And that kind of naturally transitioned into working in a gym environment from when I was very young. So I started working in the gym when I was like 18 years old, right through into my adult life where it kind of became a career, really. And um, and yeah, that's that's when diabetes decided to rock up. <laughs> With each of the areas in the UK, kind of like we have states here in the United States, is it fitness and sports big in your area compared to the other regions in the United Kingdom? Uh, honestly, it, it was never really that massive. Like when I was growing up, I went to quite a quite a sporty school, but it wasn't huge. But I think really sort of around about 2012 in the UK, fitness just blew up. Like all of a sudden, everyone was becoming a personal trainer. And, you know, it was crazy. It was getting to the point where people would get a gym membership and then like six months later, they'd be a coach. And it was, you know, yeah, it it was so popular. So, um, yeah, I'd I'd say it's particularly popular. It kind of of spiderwebs out from London. So I'm about an hour away from London now. So that's kind of like, you know, the main hub for everything. And really, it just comes out from there. Yeah. Why do you feel everyone wanted to become a coach when fitness boomed in the area? Honestly, I don't know. I think it just became a a really sort of like, I hate the word, but a a really fashionable career to have. Everyone was all over it, you know, like everyone is to to be the, the big next, the the next big fitness coach and especially with things like that was the time where Instagram was really taking off everyone wanted to look good and everyone wanted to, to have a career around that but you know I mean we're, we're coming from the grassroots like working in a leisure center you know the the real sort of like small time gyms before it came massive and, and it's still huge now really you talked about rugby what draw you to rugby uh, do you know what I think it was just one of those sports where I was quite big when I was a kid, like I was quite, quite fat to be fair. And I was always quite like one of the taller people in my year. So when I was into it, it it just sort of came naturally. Like the coaches all wanted me there because I could just, you know, when I was quite young, I was just, you know, good, good at running around and tackling, I guess. And that was it. But I stopped pretty, I stopped that sort of at the back end of my school years, just because it was so physical. Everyone was getting injured and I wanted to focus more on, on a fitness-based career and the, the two really clash. You know, I mean, you just, you just can't risk injury when it's your career. I didn't get into rugby until I went to college and our school was like the number one in the United States. But we also really? have American football, which it has the pads, the helmets, and they're tackling each other. And then we see rugby and it's like no pads and it's kind of yeah. like extreme. And you talked about the injuries and I'm thinking that I would get injured after just getting tackled once out there, knowing my life. What Did you ever have any injuries that kind of were severe in a way? No, I, I got so lucky. I think I was, um, I, there was definitely times where I could have done, but I was always, you know, quite cautious of it. 
And I had a relative, one of my uncles was, you know, a few years down the line, really big into it. And, and he played sort of like county level. And I remember him getting tackled once and he was paralyzed for three days. And then it just sort of miraculously came back. And after that, it put me straight off. I was like, nah, okay, right. Um, seeing something like that, I just didn't ever want to go near it again. Do people go that hardcore at county level, like athletics, yeah. like recreational, basically? Yeah, 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 yeah. So hardcore. So he was basically, he was from Wales originally, and they're renowned over here. Like, you know, they're they're the real sort of like rough rugby lot. Us, well, when an English team play Wales, it's like, well, okay, you know, be careful sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think it just really trickles down to county level still. What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself while playing rugby? Um, it definitely taught me that I loved sport and I, it, it, that sort of discipline it gives you. I think that it really sort of carries out into every other area of your life, you know, because I started going to the gym really just to improve performance and just get better, get better in every aspect. And once you've started going to the gym, you just spiral into all sorts of different sports and it just has that level of discipline. You know, you get up in the morning, you go train, you watch what you eat. And when you start getting into that routine, every other area of your life just improves. And it's such an addictive thing that I think that's what really sort of spirals it. You talked about your physique was in a different kind of form at the time when you started playing rugby was after playing, was this the kind of the mindset or the turnaround? You're like, maybe I want to make a difference and I want to kind of challenge myself in a way at physical form. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it came at a time where, you know, I was still super young when I sort of decided I didn't really like playing rugby anymore. I was kind of like 16, 17 because I played from a really young age. And then after that, you know, you're sort of getting to the, the back end of your teen years. And I thought, you know, like I, w- I want to be more athletic physique rather than just bulky. And um, and that's when I started going to the gym, meeting new people. And it got to the point, really, uh, it was sort of like I was down the gym all the time. And to be honest, I was kind of like skipping school to go to the gym with friends. <laughs> And yeah, and the, the manager of the gym looked at me and he was like, look, you're here all the time, man. What are you doing? You know, you're never at school, whatever. And he said, I'm going to give you a job. Like, I'm going to give you an apprenticeship. You should come and work for us. I can see you've got a passion for it. And that really changed it because, you know, I was in school doing things like law, economics, business studies, stuff that at the time I just wasn't passionate about. And all I wanted to do was just chase my goals in the gym. So that gym manager really had a a huge part for me and you know he really threw me a lifeline because he gave me that job trained me up and I don't know if you have the equivalent of an apprenticeship over there but it's like you basically work for pretty much nothing you work for a super low wage but they'll give you all of your qualifications and then at the end you're a, you're a trainer and you, you've ticked all the boxes and you can work with them for a little while so that's really how it started and then yeah they they took me through to my early 20s at that gym and yeah still in contact with them today they're great people we have something similar with like internships. I mean, I think we do have apprenticeships, but internships, sometimes you're getting paid nothing. And I've done yeah. those internships with being in the sports field that I went through in college. And you're kind of like working 14 hours a day and they're like, no, you can't go work and make money. You got to do this. And it's kind yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. unless you're giving me a job after I can understand, but I didn't get a job because yeah. they weren't hiring at the time. Yeah. Were you ever worried about, your parents thinking why are you skipping school to go into this field or were they very supportive in the path that you were wanting to go in that my parents were so chill to be fair uh, they they were very much like 
they saw what made me happy and they, they just wanted me to chase, chase what I really wanted. And they saw the kind of drive and the change in me from when I started at the gym. And, you know, it really is like you wake up every day, like so excited to go to work. And once they saw that, they didn't question anything. You know, they just wanted me to chase it. And, and that's that sort of thing. Did yeah, you ever come up that. with like a backup plan? Like what happens if the fitness career didn't work out? Not really, no. So I've kind of, I do a bit of security work as well. So I still do some security work now, just because the even the nature of my business now, obviously it's fully online. I still can sometimes find time to do the odd shift. So yeah, I've always done a bit of security work on the side from when I was sort of like 23 onwards. So I guess we call that a backup plan, but it's, it's still never really been the passion. Fitness has always been what's really, you know, driven me. Why security? Like, why did you want that as a second job also? It was basically, it was actually one of my clients. I was working with him and um, it was when I was in my first gym and he hired security, security officers, basically. And he said, look, you know, I'm, I'm doing security. I need some more guys to come work with me. You know, you, do you want a job? Come along, basically, see what you like about it, you know. So I turned up and yeah, it was cool. Like I, there was a really good group of lads there. And um, the, the kind of security I was doing was like at an airport. So you're basically, um, yeah, just, just, just doing airport kind of security work. So it was great. But, um, but yeah, like it never, never drove me in the way that, that fitness did. Have you ever thought about going in different areas? Like airport security is kind of, I mean, it's still big, but like, yeah. like security for like, venues concerts think sporting events things like that something in that area or you're like i i just want to keep what i'm doing right now yeah no that that, that kind of security in england to be honest like say it's your security for like a like a club or whatever like the the wages are super low and the the risk is super high like it's yeah not 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 the kind of security you want to be doing for us it's like you know you, you're just babysitting it's, it's a lot a lot safer and yeah uh, a lot more benefits like that kind of security over here it's just uh yeah you don't want to be doing it to be honest <laughs> when you started as a fitness trainer you were at a young age did yeah. you have a lot of clients where they're kind of like oh he doesn't know much because he hasn't experienced much or did you kind of show them a different mindset because with people that are younger they have a different mentality than people that have been doing it for 20 30 years yeah um I think it was quite lucky in that in that sense of the environment I was in we were all super young so if you wanted a trainer in that gym they were going to be below the age of 22 regardless pretty much so we were all kind of all in the same boat there was such a young workforce and the, the only older ones were the managers so they would they would hand us down basically they would say look you know you'd be working really well with Matt or you'd be working really well with this trainer so they'd really set us up with clients which was fantastic on their part you know they wanted to see us all do well so they'd hand us clients to see how we got on with it and if look if a client gave a bad report back to them and said look this guy's not so great we'd hear about it and that's how we'd learn and that's how they kind of molded us but yeah I think there were definitely times where people would think like well this guy's really young but yeah you, you've just got to prove yourself in that sense and when they get the results out of it that's that's when their minds change what would you say is your coaching style <sighs> coaching style I'd say it's very much like it's very much just about communicating and linking with the people like a lot of coaches online it will just be 
once a week you'll do your check-in via whatsapp you'll get a voice note maybe even just over text or email and there won't really be that much communication you won't build much of a bond with your client whereas every other week I'll get on the phone to my clients and we'll have like a half an hour chat and I'll say look what's been good what what are you struggling with and I think it's really I want my clients to be like my friends do you know what I mean I really want to build a close relationship with them because I think that's how you get the best out of people like if people just think that their coach is a bit absent or they don't really care they're not gonna confide in them when they really need something and I think it's such a people-based um, industry that you know you really need to build a good relationship with people so yeah I'd say I'd say getting my clients on side as my friends really is kind of how it's how it's always been I think that's definitely hard with nowadays with so many coaches out there. You just never know if you're just a number or a dollar sign, or you're actually getting the real authentic them. And I think that's what stands out. And just from the things that I've seen of you, I can definitely tell that is you is where you're personal with how your clients think of you or reviews or posting messages and things like that is you care about them. When you're yeah. in a situation with a client and they are struggling, do you kind of put your mindset of what you used to be and kind of understand that path that you've gone that helps them get to their goals? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to to be any kind of a good coach. You have to have walked in the shoes of your clients. You can't just come in and and expect people to be at a certain level. Everyone is in their in a different part on their fitness journey. And it can be clients that, you know, I've got clients on the books who are really struggling with obesity and type two diabetes and their own bowels. And I've got clients on my books that are in better shape than me. And it's about, it's about completely putting yourself in their shoes. And yeah, you've just got to empathize. And of course, you know, you've got to be good at what you do. You've got to know your staff. You've got to understand everything about it, but you can write someone the best plan in the world if they if they can't do it and you, they don't want to do it, this is useless. So it's really about empathizing with people and just making them want to do it rather than just saying, look, you need to do this. It's like, no, like I'm going to make you see why this is what you need to do and you're going to enjoy doing it. And that's how you get it. Like, it's, it's really just about empathizing with people and getting that good connection. And when they want to do it and they want to, they want you to see them do well, like that's when you sort of crack it. So it's just about really being a people person and and just getting that empathy. Looking at the first few years of your career in fitness, what was the biggest challenge you have faced? I'd say, I'd say a very saturated market because there was such a boom in fitness. And I think, you know, looking back on it, it it was really like you could go from being a, just a, a normal gym goer to being a fully qualified trainer in three weeks which is crazy to me three weeks yeah 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 for for like a thousand pound you could be there done which was which made it so hard because there were people coming out of these courses that really didn't have much of a clue what was going on and just putting out all this wacky advice that was really cheapening the market no one knew what was going on so yeah that was a big big challenge it was making yourself stand out but it was really just being consistent day in day out and I think it made a difference when people saw you in the gym every day as well working on yourself like it made a big difference because they'd be there with you you know you're sort of like in the trenches with your clients so to speak but it's true because you are and I think that's really it it's just like making a name for yourself and making those connections. 
Did you have to become a little bit more creative in how you got yourself out there because there were so many people getting qualifications right off the bat? Yeah, I think so. I think it was just like, it was just about making like the social connections with everyone. Like in a way it was quite lucky because the gym that I worked in was in the town I'd always grew up in because so you could sort of see people that you've been to school with see people that were friends with your parents like literally everyone so that was really the only USP you could get was who did you know and who needed your services because everyone could do with a trainer it's just about whether whether your services are giving them enough value for them to part with their cash and that was another challenge that we faced is when you go through the whole apprenticeship thing the gym you work for will say how much you charge and they'll take a certain percentage of what you charge. So you can't even manipulate price to undercut other people. You are charging exactly the same rate. So it's just about who do they want to go with basically. So that was, yeah, it was definitely interesting, but it was all about just making the social connections. Was the fitness area a good financial for you? Like, did you ever have to worry about money? Okay. <laughs> it, no, no. Honestly, straight off the bat, it was, yeah, it like it, it paid badly at first. Like we were on apprenticeships, and obviously you got to do like you you can become a personal trainer after three weeks, right? But there's a load of extras that you can do to make yourself more more attractive to a potential client. So overall, you're doing like a year and a half of qualifications if you tick all the different boxes, and we were doing all of that. And then getting paid exactly the same as the cleaners who were like hoovering the gym downstairs. Like we literally wow. get paid like exactly the same to the pound. So I know you, you really have to do it for the love of it when you first start. But then obviously when you break free of that and you can become your own boss, like that's when it completely changes the game. But no, initially I remember being in an interview actually. So my first interview for the job, the boss for the old gym was kind of scary. Right. And she basically sat me down and she goes, look, why do you want the job? Because it better not be for the money. And I was sat there as a, as an 18 year old boy, just going, Oh my God, this is so weird. <laughs> like I've never sat in a job interview like this before, but, um, but yeah, it is just like one of those things you do for the passion at the start of it. And you just have to bank from the fact that it will help out further down the line. Before we get into the creation of T1 training for listeners out there, Matt and I are going through similar journeys as type one diabetics. Talk about, before you be, before you got that diagnosis, what was going on and leading up to that diagnosis? Yeah, oh, interesting stuff, really. So, I'd say before I got my diagnosis, I've been in the fitness industry for quite some time. So, I'd already been a fully fledged trainer for like probably like six years. So, I was pretty established in that. I was also doing like nearly full-time security as well so my career was like really as busy it had ever been right and um yeah in terms of the just before I got diagnosed I remember being sat on a nice beach in Greece it was all sweet business was good and I was just kind of looking at the year ahead I was ready to come home and buy a property and um and then in the same week I got diagnosed with diabetes and we went into lockdown because of COVID so yeah so it was crazy like you know all of a sudden that all the plans and everything I had going on turned upside down so it was kind of mad so you've only been a diabetic for not a short amount of time but not for that long because it was basically right before 2020 
Yeah, so I, I got diagnosed at age 24. So I feel like I was later than, well, yeah, I, I was later. I was into my 20s when I got diagnosed. So yeah, I was already like in the fitness industry, loving it. And they, this is kind of really where T1 training came from. And we'll get more into that in a bit. But it was all of a sudden being diagnosed and asking myself that question, laying in hospital, like, well, like, can I even train anymore? And the nurses just sort of scratching their heads and being like, um, we don't know, <laughs> basically, if you can or not. And I remember being handed this leaflet that honestly looked older than I was, just about, you know, like go for a run and then drink some orange juice afterwards. And that was about the extent of exercise. So yeah, that's that was really what led on to the creation of T1 training. I love finding out that people get it later in life because I'm going into my 15th year as a diabetic and I got it at such a young age. So my high school days, my college days, I had diabetes. And so I couldn't, I see people doing that party lifestyle. And I'm like, if I did that one night, I'm probably going to be dead or something or blood sugars are going to be all over the place. Do you feel that if you had it earlier in life, you would have been able to transition fitness and stuff a little bit more, or do you like where you got it now and you kind of had to develop and adapt very quickly? I think as, as silly as this sounds, it couldn't have come at a better time. And I know that sounds crazy about, you know, talking about being diagnosed with a chronic illness, but I was sat there and they were, you know, they were telling me like, look, you're going to have to learn about carb counting and you're going to have to learn about all these things. And I was, you know, like already, very qualified in nutrition. I've been tracking all of my macros for years, like probably since I was about 17. So I was very set up to transition into it. And when it just became about learning about insulin to carb ratios and that, you know, I picked that up really within the first two weeks because I could go, right, well, you know, I know, for example, on a training day, I'm going to be eating 400 gram of carb. And on a rest day, I'm going to be eating 250. So manipulating my insulin to that became very quick. And that's when I got a real good hand on it and it was quite funny really because obviously you know you have your honeymoon period and whatnot but it got to I think I've been diabetic for like just over a year and I had my yearly checkup my HbA1c was super low and um, they actually did a test on me because they were questioning whether they'd misdiagnosed me so they, (laughs) they, they were getting really really confused because like I was getting weeks on end where I was just getting 100% time and target and um, yeah, it was quite funny, but they were asking me about, you know, like insulin to carb ratio and that and, um, and, and my kind of protocol with it all. And yeah, it was just because I really had a handle on nutrition from early that I managed to sort of make it work the way it did. And it was things like, whereas perhaps if I was going high, I might want to correct and that could, you know, create a bit of a, as you know, a bit of a blood sugar roller coaster if you misjudge it. Oh, yeah. I would just be like going out, walking around my neighborhood at like midnight just to just get my bloods down because I was just trying to force it naturally. And I was doing that for ages. And it kind of like, although that's not something I necessarily recommend, depending on where your neighborhood is, but it worked. And that's the kind of thing that I had all the time of the world to get used to because it was kind of beneficial with lockdown as well. Like I wasn't working, I wasn't working properly for about a year and a half. So I had all this time to just go, right, this is my life now. You know, how do I build things back up and get a handle on it? So as far as being diagnosed or something like that, yeah, like it couldn't have come at a more appropriate time. I think you definitely had an advantage with 
being in the fitness and counting oh, because sure. when I was diagnosed, I'm 10 at the time and I'm like, I'm going to yeah. eat whatever the hell I want. And Completely. there was times where I still remember to this day and I probably, people, oh. the other diabetics are going to think I'm stupid saying this. I would love chocolate shakes and yes. I would drink one and I'd be like, oh, I, I did had to do the syringe. So I'm like stabbing my leg and taking the insulin I'm just going to crank it up and do like 40 units and be, Oh, I'm going to be fine. Nope. Had started to have to take things out of what I ate. And I think at the time now where I'm at in the last year or two, the way that I've made food nutrition has changed it so completely because we talked, you talked about the A1C being so perfect and low for you. I have been on a roller coaster starting so high at a bad level yeah. and I finally have gotten it to the right level. And it's kind of like, yeah. why couldn't I done this years ago? Why is yeah. it all of a sudden now? And I think it's definitely a mental game for yeah, us yeah, because yeah. if you're not mentally in it and focused on it, you're not going to get the results that you want. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is such a mental game with diabetes. You know, there really is no days off. And that is what can be so challenging for people. But I mean, it's it's hard to say because everyone's so different. But I just sort of look at it as another challenge. You know, like I'm going to track my workouts. I'm going to eat the right thing and I'm going to get my diabetes in check. And the three all, all go together so well that if you can shift your mindset into that lifestyle, you're only helping yourself out and you're only doing yourself favors. And it even comes to things like training, you know, like obviously one of the best ways to be insulin sensitive is to build lean muscle. So I'm not saying everyone has to go and look like a bodybuilder, but if you can go and throw a few weights around, you're going to feel better. You're going to look better, but more importantly, your diabetes is going to thank you for it because you're more insulin sensitive. You take less units overall on board. So you're at less risk of a hypo. And and it's those things that just work so well. I honestly think when you get diagnosed, people should hand you, you know, your insulin pen and a gym membership. And I, I honestly think that I'm <laughs> biased, of course, but they you just help yourself out so much. No, I think fitness definitely helps. So talk about the creation of T1 training. Where did the idea come from? And talk about the main message you want to give clients or people that are interested in your program. Yeah, of course, of course. So it really started from the moment I was diagnosed with diabetes because, you know, like we touched on earlier, I was sat there with no idea whether I could still train. The information available to me was just sort of non-existent. You know, you Google diabetes and exercise and there was just not a huge amount going on. So I really sat there and I was like, man, what am I going to do? And I ordered a book, right? This is such a plug for Phil Graham, but I ordered a diabetes <laughs> muscle and fitness guide, which really helped me. That was really good to sort of read it. And it was kind of telling me everything I wanted to hear about the fact I could still go to the gym and everything else. So from there, I sat down and I thought, well, you know, I'm already a personal trainer. How can I kind of help out other people who, who want to get in shape? Because I was looking at the Instagram community and there's such a fantastic community of people with type one on Instagram. And I was just seeing, you know, only a handful of people who were doing the whole fitness thing. So I thought, well, I can definitely add my own input here. You know, I've built my whole career around fitness. And now I think had the old me needed to take on a client with type one, I wouldn't have anywhere near adequate knowledge to do so just from the way fitness was set up in the UK. So 
coupled with lockdown I was sat at home I thought right you know I was thinking about dabbling back into online coaching anyway rather than just face-to-face PT so the two kind of clicked together really and the way that it's set up in the UK although you're technically a trainer from level three you can go up and do essentially like a master's you can do your level four but you have to specify so they do do in, in obesity and diabetes and sort of other metabolic diseases. So I went into that, took me probably like six months to get qualified in that. And then I worked with a a business consultant to help me actually grow T1 training. And that was it from sort of May last year to become the first client. And that's when it really grew. Like I had a lot of support from everyone on Instagram. Like I've connected with so many great people and that's where it's gone really. I mean, from the off, I had some, some fantastic people join the team work with some people like things that I would not have expected to face challenges from just you know working with other type ones which was obviously super rewarding to working with people um I worked with a lady who was dealing with diabolemia which was super complicated but it was so rewarding because you know eating disorders is not my speciality and I wouldn't try and stay I wouldn't go out of my lane to say that it is but I was working in regular communication with her medical team and her to just get something together between me, her nurses and her. And yeah, you know, we got her back in the gym. We got her eating healthy and yeah, she was in remission from her eating disorder and her bloods were in range. So when I got that first buzz, like there's just nothing like it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's satisfying helping uh, a general population client lose weight. But when you help someone go from, my bloods are completely out of control. I hate the way I feel. I don't like the way I look. So all of a sudden they're in the gym, they're eating right and their bloods come into range. Like the satisfaction is just next level that you help be a part of that. And even when people move on and say, look, I don't need your services anymore. I'm done. Like I would still like to catch up with them every so often because like we've built a friendship. Do you know what I mean? And it's so nice to have that, that community of people that I would have just never got involved with if my pancreas didn't decide to pack up one day, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just interesting the way it goes. That I love how that story that you shared, because it shows that personal relationship that you have with your client where you're talking to their doctors. A lot of trainers out there or coaches probably would not have done that. They wouldn't take the time out of their day to work that hard to help. And I think that client sees how much you care and they enjoyed that you care so much and that you're willing to do anything when you're putting together a program with a type one diabetic, knowing that every single diabetic is different and you can't take someone's exact philosophy and everything and put it on someone else. Is that the hardest part for you? Because you have to see what does work, what doesn't work with that person, because you know, what works best for you. You just don't know what works best for that person. Yeah, completely. And it's a case of it's a case of setting the boundaries with the client. You know, I'll take them on for a call at first and really get a feel of what they want and what they're looking to achieve. And I'll say to them, look, you know, like I'm your I'm your trainer and I'm your coach, but I'm never going to tell you, look, take this much insulin at this time because I'm not going to I'm not going to breach into giving medical advice because that's not what I'm here for. I'm just going to give you a plan that is kind to your diabetes. I'm going to be here to understand if you haven't been able to train because you've had a hypo or if this meal is really screwing you up and it's sending your bloods high. So I'll treat them no different to a normal weight loss client, essentially, in terms of the numbers I give them. But the foods I give them, I'll say, right, we're going to go low GI. 
it's going to be nothing to give you any crazy spikes. I'm going to give you a good amount of healthy fats to help drip feed the carbs in. All the things that I would that I would give to myself that I know control my bloods. I would use similar similar um, concepts in their diet. And then it comes to really the, the phrase trial and error gets thrown around a lot. So when we get into our weekly check-in, I'll get them to send me over screenshots of how their bloods were, if they're on Libra or Dexcom, and we'll go through together, right, how are your bloods? How did you feel in the gym? And it's really just about talking to them to get that verbal feedback. And then that's it, really, to be honest. So in terms of just the setup, it will be similar to a normal weight loss client, but it's all the support around that where things get into the, the, the type one side of things. So if they say to me, look, you know, I'm really spiking when I do any weights, I say, well, well look, let's look at your insulin. How much did you have on board? Um, then, you know, potentially they're going to correct before they go to the gym. That's something that's worked for other clients and it will bring them down into a nice range when they're actually training or I'll get others that will just drop low when they do exercise. So I say, look, you've got 200 grams of carbs today, allocate, I don't know, 50 grams of that to a nice hypo treatment, bit before, bit after. And um, and they're still in a range where they're going to be losing weight and they've got their hypos factored in. So it's just stuff like that that you just you wouldn't know about unless you're a type, unless you're a type one. Uh, like a, a really common thing that I'll get a lot of clients come to me and they'll say, look, I'm having loads of hypos, so I can't lose weight. And I'll go, right, well, let's just look at it for a minute. So let's just say that. Again, we'll, we'll go your allocated 2000 calories every day, right? And on Monday, you've had a big hypo, you've had to have an extra 200 calories. And people are going to think, like, I'm thrown off, my diet's screwed. But I'll just say, look, let's look at the bigger picture. Take 100 calories off of your allowance on Tuesday, take another 100 off on Wednesday. And overall, we're still doing great. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Like, I'll never say to anyone, like, oh, yeah, like, don't treat your hypo obviously but i'll say look treat it sensibly when you're done have a look right cool i had this many calories stick it into my fitness pal if you're over no dramas we take it off tomorrow and we move on with it and um it's things like that that just you can just apply to living with diabetes and you'll be surprised how quickly how quickly you realize you can just hit your goals and the more you hit them the better you're going to feel and the better your diabetes is going to behave I think that's definitely an advantage with you is you are a type one. So you understand it because I've been in a situation where I've worked with a trainer and I would tell them something I'm going through with diabetes and they're like, oh no, you're going to be fine. I go, no, this is my life. Like, I can't do anything about it. I can make changes to help it, but they just did not want to do anything. They're like, you just got to do this, this, and this. And then they're like, oh, you got to drink all this. I'm like, I can't do that. And so it kind of brought me away from them. And something that this leads into is content creation is something that you have done really well on Instagram and any social media that you have with everyone out there posting that they're a fitness trainer. And it's hard to know who really knows what their stuff. Yeah. How do you stand out as a content creator? Yeah, you're so right. It's very, very saturated. Um, And especially with the content on Instagram, I think it was just really kind of like, I know that my field is diabetes. I know that I know a lot about diabetes. And there was definitely a time where I was kind of like halfway, I don't know, six months into T1 training. I was thinking, look, you know, maybe I should branch out and do just general weight loss transformations. And, you know, 
I'll help out people with diabetes as well. And I kind of evaluated myself and I thought, actually, like, why would I want to just dilute my services to the same as everyone else is doing? Like, I don't really care about getting in the maximum amount of clients and, you know, just chasing the profit because that's not what I'm here for. That's not why I started T1 training. Like, I know that my advice can genuinely help people. So I'm just going to double down on the type one content, help the people that need it because that's why I started it. So it's really just a shift in rather than just trying to get maximum amount of clients in and really fill my books. I just want people that genuinely want to work with me, need my help and are going to put in as much as I put in. And that was the real shift. So in terms of content, putting out things that I really would have wanted to see when I was first diagnosed, like if I can put myself in that position and then look back and say, oh, that would have helped me so much, then yeah, that's the kind of content I want to bring out. So that was a big shift for me. There was definitely a period where I was like, oh, let's just go general weight loss transformations. But now it's kind of like, I only really want to work with people who've got type one. Like if I've got friends or whatever who want to jump on, cool, that's sweet. But I'm really just like, want people who need my help to join me. Like rather than me just trying to like super DM everyone and shark out clients, like (laughs) people apply to work with me. And if I think they're going to be a good fit, we'll go with it. Do you know what I mean? Because there's nothing worse than having clients on your team where you're just like, oh, come on time's checking again time to do this like i'm not here to chase people i'm here to help people that need it so that was the real shifting content for me is there any other creators out there that you kind of follow that kind of have been helpful for you in your journey with creating something yeah for sure for sure and like there's two real lads who kind of from the start i thought were great so there's a guy called type on tom don't know if you're aware of him really good guy like his podcast and um, yeah, he like DM me a few times as well. That was really helpful. Um, another guy called Owen Costello, Insulin Podcast was really, really good. Um, and it was funny, actually, like I started off listening to those guys, like, you know, really keen and whatever. Yeah, so people that have definitely helped me, Type on Tom, super, super down to earth guy, gives a really, um, just a real world experience about what it's like living with diabetes and uh, an Irish guy, Owen Costello, Insulin Podcast. And if you're aware of him, Owen actually was on my show. I actually, I actually interviewed him last year, and no way, it, we connected on Instagram. I, I don't even know. It's so hard. I don't even remember how, but we were doing the same thing, like how we were, and just chatting, interacting, and stuff. And I, and I'm one of those people that, with my show, I can relate and connect with diabetics a lot easier because we are, we're both going through similar journeys. And I love speaking to diabetics because it's so interesting to find out their past and his story is that he got it later in life also. And he's just been so cool and just connecting and type one Tom, I've actually been communicating with also, it's kind of like all three of you guys have been so great. And I think if anyone that's listening that are diabetics definitely need to check all three of you guys out because you guys get so personal with everything. And I think when I saw that you are connected with, uh, Oh, and I'm like, Oh, it's like, it's like a triangle. Basically we all know each other now. It's such a triangle and it's a great community. And it's funny that when I first, um, got diagnosed my nurse actually recommended me owen's podcast so Owen's That's awesome. that. yeah my nurse recommended me owen's podcast she was like there's some great podcasts out there and i remember um like before i even started t1 training like you know writing into owen's podcast being like asking questions 
And it's funny, fast forward a year on, I'm actually going on his podcast as a guest, like in the next couple of months. So it's like, it's so cool how everyone's just part of that community. So yeah, definitely those two for sure. I think with Instagram, it's such a great, and especially during this time where everyone's at home, everyone's on social media and stuff that you can connect with so many people and learn so much. Definitely. I look at your posts and I'm like, I didn't know that. I'm taking notes, writing it down, see how I can incorporate in my life. And then like your training or the fitness stuff that you do, I'm like, what can I do to adapt it to my abilities? Cause I'm not that built. I mean, I've been losing weight. I mean, I've been on a journey since last April and I've lost almost 50 pounds and thank you. And it's just, I'm proud of what I've done. And I feel that there's a little bit more confidence in me and I'm ready for that next step still on that journey. But it's like you said, it doesn't end. I mean, even though it doesn't, doesn't. we all probably looked at that article that came out about the guy who apparently cured himself, or I don't know if you heard about that story and every, all these diabetics I'm connected with, they're all like questioning everything. And we're all like, there's no way this is true. Yeah. (laughs) What's the biggest thing your program has taught about yourself? We feel that each step, each career path, we learn something new about ourselves. Is there anything new that you learned about yourself? I think, you know, like my program and to be honest, the whole like the the diagnosis, because it all came so close together, you know, being diagnosed, starting T1, like a crazy amount of variables in my life changed. And I think that what it's taught me is it's just given me a big shift in mindset. I mean, I've always been like a very, very driven person. And I think that's kind of like transitioned well into having diabetes because, you know, like that I said to my doctor when I got, I said, there's nothing I'm not willing to change to boss my diabetes. And that was just like that fire was lit in me from day dot. And that's great. But I think that it, it gave me a real sense of mortality as well. I think a lot of people get that when they're diagnosed, especially, you know, looking at it from an adult, like I've lived a completely normal life up until 24. And then it's like, whoa, okay. Like, you know, as a 24 year old guy, you think you're kind of bulletproof, right? And you think nothing's ever going to touch me. And you're like, wow, okay. Like I really need to just make the most of everything. And it's interesting how like, Things that maybe used to really phase me or like stress me out just seem so insignificant now I have diabetes because I'm like, it gives you like a real sense of perspective of what's actually important and what actually matters. So yeah, like I'd say mainly just a a big shift in mindset. And to be honest, it's probably made me more confident as a person because I now know like I can sort of rationalize things more like walking into a group of people and like running a class right say when I used to work at the gym like 40 middle-aged women running a a circuit class might have intimidated me before but now and they are intimidating 40 middle-aged women don't get me wrong that's a scary one but now I sort of think oh yeah but you know like diabetes is way worse so like I'm not as phased now like like, and it's things like that or you think like oh well you know I nearly died last year why am I worried about this and it sounds so crazy to anyone who wouldn't get it, but it's like, yeah, that having that sense of mortality and being like, whoa, like, I'm so lucky to be here now, like gratitude and mindset. And yeah, th- those are the two words that really pop out for me after, after the kind of experience of it. 
fitness in your career has been a huge part of your life, but does it ever overtake your life where you don't get to enjoy being Matt and enjoying that life? I'd say uh, there's, there's times where, where we really switch on and it becomes the absolute everything, but those times are kind of short and sharp. So for example, like at the moment I'm in work all off season. So I'm gaining muscle. I'm eating a lot more calories and we can be flexible with that. You know, if me and my girlfriend want to go for dinner, cool, no worries. If I want to go for a couple of beers with my mates at the weekend, you know, as long as it's not every single weekend, no dramas, but like I've got a photo shoot in June. So from back end of February onwards, it's going to be like game time and we're completely on the ball with it. So that's when it will take over, but it's in a measured way, if that makes sense. And then after June, it will be holidays, festivals, everything I want to do until the next <laughs> time we come around to cut. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it will take over for three and a half, four months, but that's, that'll be it. Yeah. So are we adding model to your list of titles now? With the no, no, not 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 like that. It's 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 promotion for T1 training. So <laughs> it will be um yeah. It and that's really just I wanted another challenge. And I didn't really fancy doing like a bodybuilding competition. That's not really me because I do have quite a flexible lifestyle. I still enjoy myself. But I thought if I can do like a like a fitness shoot, have the Libra out, do you know what I mean? It's gonna motivate more people because I just just not something I see that many people doing. So I thought, why not? I rise to the challenge. I saw there you go, rise to the there challenge. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I saw um yeah, and one of my friends who's also a coach was running it. He's setting up the shoot, he's getting like a photographer in. So he offered me a slot. I said, Yeah, went for it. So yeah, so that's another thing kind of in the pipeline, another goal to work towards that I've never really done before. When you mention festivals, is it kind of like those EDM concerts? I feel yeah. like have yeah, you yeah. been to one as a diabetic yet? And how have you been no, able to not, manage that? No, I haven't yet. So it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. But I mean, all my friends are going. I'm never going to let it stop me doing something I want to do. So yeah, I mean, straight from the off, I'm thinking if I'm out all day dancing, I'm going to be taking way less background insulin. It's also in Croatia, so it's going to be really hot. So I'm thinking less insulin for sure as a starter. Um, when I do drink, because I've done a fair bit of drinking since my diagnosis, you know, <laughs> partying and whatnot, as we like to, you know, I'm still only 26. Um, go for sugar-free mixers and a bit of vodka. Generally speaking, doesn't mess things up too much. And obviously the golden rule is always eat something before you go to sleep. Yes. That is the golden rule to anyone listening. Always, always. Even if you think you're going to wake up slightly higher, it is better than risking having a super bad hypo. So yeah, they're kind of the three pillars of um, going out drinking <laughs> that, I've, that I've followed. But yeah, so far, so good. I'm just going to tackle it and see. And who knows, maybe I'll even document it a little bit on T1 and, uh, and you know, bring out some, some tips for anyone following suit. Well, you mentioned that you're 26 and I'm 26 and people listening can see how we're the same age and completely yeah. two different paths we've been on, even though yeah. I got it earlier, you've gotten it later. But yeah. I love when you mentioned about what you drink and stuff. And when I was in college turning 21, when that's the drinking age in um, the United States, I'm like, give me the margarita without the sour, sweet and sour mix. So give me straight tequila. Cause I'm like, I don't want to even try the sugar part. And yeah, all yeah, my yeah. friends are drinking like these seltzers, ciders, give me yeah. the basics things. And 
I'm been one of those people where I only drink when I go out. Like I don't yeah. need to drink when I'm at home alone. I'm like just no. drink water or something or a yeah, soda. Yeah, yeah. Like keep it simple. Yeah. But I never let, and even my friends, I've never let diabetes not ruin my fun. I think no, people have noticed that I'm the same fun person that I have always been. I just have something that's wrong with my pancreas, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I don't let it stop me from what I want to do. No, completely. And I think that's such a take home message for anyone listening to this. Like, don't let it define you. And obviously, you know, I mean, it's maybe different in in someone like your case, because you've had it for a very long time from a young age. But for someone diagnosed slightly older, perhaps like you're you are still the same person you were before your diagnosis. Like, don't let your whole character and life become diabetes because you are still Alex. You've just got diabetes now. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, like just incorporate as well like in terms of social situations or whatever like all of my mates know about it you know like they were all there with me the week I was being diagnosed I remember my friends being sat around the night before I went into hospital and they're like oh you're fine man just have some like have a monster energy you'll be fine (laughs) tired I was like no like you know there's something wrong with me boys and they just had no idea and then I remember facetiming them from intensive care the next day and they all thought it was hilarious like you know like you just have to make everyone around you involved in it and they have to understand it and you know like it's just one of those if if the people around you are cool they'll get it and they'll be a part of it and they'll make sure you're all right you know i'll literally have i mean i know you guys probably have decks come over there but we have uh, i have a freestyle libra so you scan your phone on it to do this to do the check and i'll be you know in a social situation out drinking and my friends will come up to me and you know get my phone and scan it to check because they want to know i'm in range and that's the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with i see I always tell my friends, just ask questions. Like if you ask, it doesn't bother me because you're wanting to learn more about it. And yeah, I think I love your post where you're working out and you're always like talking about your Libra is like right there and like, oh, it's going to fall off or something. I I love that. I had the the desk, can't talk today, Dexcom and it just starts scarring. Like, I'm like, how many more things can we connect to my body? Like, yeah, I already have the pump on me. Now I have this. And so I've been taking breaks, but I see the Libra and I'm like, that's so cool that it just scans. Boom. It's not bulky. It's kind of just a small little circle. And it's just, it's amazing. The technology that they create nowadays to help us become more flexible in what we do and kind of make it relieve the stress in a way. Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. And again, you know, it, it like it makes me feel very lucky that I have had diabetes at this time and that there's so much around for us and that, you know, especially like that is is readily available. Like it makes you feel incredibly lucky for sure. Would you change anything in your journey so far? Or do you feel that each step you've taken has been perfect because it's taught you so much about yourself and it has gotten you to where you are today? Yeah. Obviously, you can't change diabetes because it happened no. under not in our control. No, but I mean, I wouldn't change any of it. No, to be honest, I wouldn't change any of it because it's allowed me to start my business that... I probably wouldn't have started if I didn't have diabetes because I didn't have that real drive. I didn't have that real USP. So it's allowed me to start my business. It's allowed me to connect with so many people that I would have just never connected with before. 
and um that it's given me a real kick in mindset it's made me grow up a lot you know it's it's taken me from that early 20s you know like being a trainer but also being a bit of a party boy and just not really like focusing on that much to like okay wow really it's time to grow up and focus on everything now so yeah like I wouldn't change anything I'd say that look obviously diabetes sucks sometimes and that's always going to be the same and that's part of it and you know it's okay to accept that but it's given me so many positive things that no, I wouldn't change anything about it. And especially like the way it's helped me connect to people through T1 training, like people all look at like, Oh, you know, like I'm a trainer and I'm a success because, you know, I'm doing this much and I've got this many clients on the books. But for me, like if I can work with someone for a little while and leave it and look back and feel like I've really made a difference, like, for me that there's nothing else that gives me that kind of satisfaction so yeah and I just wouldn't have got that without diabetes I feel the same way diabetes has taught me so much about myself and as much as we wish we didn't have it I think it has helped me grown as a person and kind of made me think of things differently and because if not I'd probably be eating cosmic or brownies right now in the middle of the lunch period but now I don't have to do that yeah exactly What does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next few years? Um, I mean, I'm very much, I very much don't plan more than sort of like six months ahead because I think things can be (laughs) so fluid and and that's what things like diabetes and COVID and everything has taught us. But in terms of T1 training, I just want to have 10 to 15 clients that are really, really invested in the service and that want to be part of it, that I'm vibing with having long-term six months plus, you know, so 10 to 15 people on the team that really want to be there that I can help impact. I want to grow my socials just for, just for a diabetes advocacy point. I want to really, really just spread the message and just help as many newly diagnosed people as possible see that diabetes can actually have some really positive aspects to it and you can still achieve everything you wanted to achieve. So definitely those two things for the T1 side of things. Um, But yeah, personal, I'm probably going to start a couple of other businesses. Like now I've got this little taste for an online business. I'm definitely going to move on to a couple of other fields with that. I'm really enjoying being my own boss. So yeah, for for me, really just growing, growing the socials, growing businesses and just like making as many impacts to people as I can, even if it's from working with them on my coaching program or just them seeing my Insta and taking one little thing from an Instagram post. Like, yeah, it's just about spreading that net and just connecting with as many diabetics as possible. And it will be nice now COVID's out of the way. If there's actually some, you know, some in-person events going on, there's a few in the UK that kind of go on with Diabetes UK and JDRF. So definitely want to show my face at a few of those as well. And just, yeah, just make those connections, man. That's about it really. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I would definitely say even if you think there's a goal that is so big and so unachievable, just break it down into little steps, right? So just reverse engineer it. So say let's use diabetes as a prime example you say right i want to lower my hba1c and you're thinking wow man that's a big goal like i'm not sure how i'm going to do it just take it back step by step right you know 
what do I need to go break it down into tiny granular little goals like one thing you can do every single day to move you that inch closer and those little things will add up so quickly and it's just the basic pillars that people can do to help them so 10,000 steps a day four to five resistance training sessions a week track your calories people spend so much time on tiktok and instagram just spend it on my fitness pal (laughs) and you are gonna see such a change to your life so yeah really that like there might be an obstacle that you think is so big and so crazy but like just reverse engineer it and also like just just do it you only get one shot at life like why why would you wait to go for an obstacle like the worst that can happen is you fail it you use it as a learning opportunity and you build back stronger like no one is perfect first time round everyone's made mistakes i've made mistakes in t1 training like you know putting out uh, a campaign that's completely flopped or just like you know working with a client that i probably shouldn't have worked with because i could see they wouldn't really into the service like everyone makes mistakes but that's how you learn it's how you grow so yeah just never ever stop yourself from going for a goal because you're worried about it because the worst thing you can do is look back and be like oh like, i should have done that but yeah that's that's all i'll say is no obstacle is too big you can just get around it and it might be easier said than done, but just think one thing you can do every day to move an inch closer and you'll smash it and listen to the rise of the challenge podcast, obviously. Brownie points right there. there well, go. Matt, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Mate. Thanks for having me. It's been a great, great time. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, seeing more podcasts come out mate seeing who else you get on i look forward to connecting you a bit more in the future tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel to see the full-length episode and video format what path will you take to accomplish your goals you decide